Hey everyone, Jason here again, and this is it. Part three of our epic Neon Genesis Evangelion discussion with Jesse from the Sudden But Inevitable podcast. Once again, if you are joining us for the first time, this is going to be an in-depth discussion. I do recommend that you go back and watch the series before you participate in this discussion with Jesse and I. And if you have watched the series and you haven't listened to those previous discussions, again, this is part three. So you're going to want to go back, listen to parts one and two first. Then come back here and join us for part three. Enjoy, everyone. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know your lines, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> <laughs> so the angels at some point get fed up and go, all right, just, just send a human-shaped angel in there, have him talk to them face-to-face, <laughs> and see what happens. And when that happens, the angels go, you know what, let's give these humans a chance, because it feels like they deserve a chance. Maybe they're not smart, maybe they're not ready, yeah. but like if we give them a chance, maybe they'll get there. Just the presence of these Avas should indicate that they might be ready, right? Mm-hmm. And... Shinji, Shinji is, it feels like Shinji is starting to come out of his depression once he connects with Kaoru, which is what makes it devastating, you know, that Kaoru seems to be the the bringer of the end. Mm -hmm. But Shinji does still make that choice, right, to to end Kaoru. And it's like, I mean, like we mentioned, it takes him, like, nine screen minutes, which is probably... (laughs) 90 a seconds minute and a half. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's an eternity it to is. show a single image. By the way, just because I can't not, I've thought of it like seven times for the course of this discussion. Have you ever seen uh, Band of Outsiders? The, the old Godard film? There's a scene in there where they're talking about time. They're, they're talking about movies and they're talking about how long it takes for time to pass on film. And there's a scene where, you know, a very sort of meta wink and nod sort of scene where they're like, oh, man, a minute, a minute of screen time. It takes forever. Like and then they stop talking and then they just sit there. And after like 30 seconds, you're like, wow, how long has it been? And you check your watch and you're like, 30 seconds? It feels like several minutes. Wow. And then like around like 35 or 40, they're like, all right, let's go get some coffee or something, right? Like the point was made. But when you actually, you know, we always think in a real life minute passes by like that. But yeah, on film, 60 seconds, you know, that at times, you know, that's basically what? 60 times 24, if you're good at math, do it. But, you know, probably like 130 nope. frames, 130 pictures or something that you're seeing in that short amount of time in a minute. That's a, that's a lot. Well, and it's like this series has taken its time. With you know, I mean, like it's it's quick. It's twenty six episodes, mm-hmm. but the episodes themselves take their time. And sometimes you're like, "Please stop doing this." I would like to know what is happening next. <laughs> but the the series is going. No, you're going to sit in this freaking elevator for two minutes and be uncomfortable because that is life. Yeah, like this is the realistic part of this. Again, man, I'm getting goosebumps, but the realistic part of this series is that it's about relationships, right? It's about the part of you that lives in other people's hearts. And it's, it's just those moments are the real moments in life. Those are the moments you remember, the moments where you're like, oh, yeah, one time I was stuck in an elevator with somebody I did not want to talk to for like three minutes. And it was the worst three minutes. It felt like forever. Yeah. Or, you know. 
one time I had to make a really tough choice. In Shinji's case, it's humanity or no humanity, and most of us don't usually have to deal with that, but we understand what he's feeling, you know, do I choose my what I want or do I choose what's right? And he just stands there and looks at that option in his hand for so long, and then he goes, all right, fine, I'll do what's right. And honestly, that's partially what leads him back into his depression, and that's part of what makes this show so evocative, I think, is that... It does. It's not afraid to go, hey, look, sometimes doing the right thing is going to suck and it is going to feel just awful. Yeah. Um, and nobody is going to be able to help you with that. So have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's interesting. And I think this is going to kind of make uh, give us a point to kind of sort of uh, look at a couple different sides here. So starting from the conceit that a large part of this show, especially as we get towards the end, is a metaphor for depression and that ultimately you know, you could make the argument that all of what Shinji goes through is a reflection of him essentially like what he needs to go through to come out of that depression, right? Before ultimately accepting himself at the end of episode 26 of the TV show and arguably, maybe, maybe not doing so, end of Evangelion. I do think that's where they 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 split off here. But so I think that and look, this is kind of one of the aspects of depression. And I know like, you know, a lot of people listening um, you know, I've struggled with depression. So a lot of us are sort of very common with some of the uh, manifestations, right? And one of the things that you think about, like one of the horrible, just the most like insidious aspects of depression is like it will convince you that completely normal things or even actions that have demonstrably positive effects like are in fact negative detriments, like some horrible aspect of your personality, right? And so I think so often from the outside, you know, without being inside somebody's head and understanding their personal experience, it can be confusing. You're like, why is this person so down on themselves? Like they're cool. Like they're fine. They're certainly no worse than any other asshole out there, right? And yet, and it's like Shinji. Like, okay, Shinji's not the life of the party. Uh, he seems to be a smart guy. He seems to be compassionate. A little shy, sure, but like nobody's watching Shinji going up. Oh, dregs of humanity, right there, right? If I ever meet a Shinji in my life, my goodness, I hope I never do, right? And yet, Shinji in his head has gone through so much bullshit and has so much past traumas and current negative you know thoughts and reinforcements and you know just quite you know a psychological disorder that has gone untreated and you know so i think there's this element you know a large part of all of this and a large part of kuwaru giving shinji that decision is because one of the ways that you come to terms and deal with depression is understanding that like it, the your depression is lying to you. None of this that you think is actually the way that people see you. If you looked at yourself through somebody else's eyes or like if you were to treat yourself the same way that you would treat, you know, a spouse partner, like somebody else that acted exactly like you, that wasn't you, you would think they were a great person. But because it's you like you, there's just this horrible self-criticism. And I think that so much of what Kawaru's presence does is to say, look, and this is, I believe, also what happens at the end of at the end of end of Evangelion <laughs> and why Asuka gets so pissed off at Shinji is it's the nature of like you are in complete control, like you getting out of your depression is 100 percent contingent upon you accepting your situation and accepting that 
you're, you know, an okay person and literally taking control. All we have seen Shinji do through the entirety of this series is be a passenger to what life and others do to him. And he does kind of end up making indirect decisions, but there's always this element of like, I am not in control of my life, right? That comes back to Shinji. And that's a large part of what causes, you know, a, a psychological condition like depression is this feeling of like things have not gone my way, but like it's beyond my control and nothing that I do can change things for the better. And I can't change my mentality. I can't change the way I look at things like I am just a horrible person and this is the way things are. You know, the 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 sky is blue, water is wet and I'm a horrible person. Right. It's just a fact of life. And it's not until you take control and make a decision to say, you know what? No, that's bullshit. Like that is that is not the case. Like I am not those things and I am going to make a concerted effort to embrace that and 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 be proactive in my decision making and no longer allow life to make decisions for me. But I'm going to make decisions and then stand behind them. Right. Part of that, too. The messy part of that is that we have to then accept consequences. Right. We made a decision. It went well, hopefully, but maybe it didn't. And that's not life's fault. That's not your mom or dad's fault. That's your fault. And sometimes that can be a difficult thing to come to terms with. So, but all of this to say that I think that this moment with Shinji and Kawaru uh, and him and, and Kawaru specifically giving him, it's it's like him like, Shinji, do you want to take control of your life and kill me? Or do you want me to take control of life and continue doing what you're doing and let life decide for you? So that's kind of what I think about that. And I think it's actually brilliant that you mentioned that Shinji sees himself as a passenger because when we do get these moments of what I perceive to be his uh, subconscious, he's sitting on a train, a passenger train in particular, mm -hmm. and he is just like in a seat. He's not in the, uh, what's the front of a train called? He's not in the engine? I don't know. <laughs> he's uh, not in the train dude, cockpit? I'm so <laughs> what's the, I don't know. he's not in the engineer's seat? Uh, I think, I mean, he's not driving the, cab, the train. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's not in the train I'm, I'm just thinking of like a truck. I think it's the cab. <laughs> The cab is the inside, and then the trailer is the backside. Either way, so, let's continue. Shinji, <laughs> Shinji is not Shinji is not driving the train. He is sitting in a passenger yes. car and just letting himself go from destination to destination. But when he's piloting the Ava, other people give him mm. praise. He is, you know, making decisions. He's going, "Here's what I want." Uh, big old caveat there: sometimes, because sometimes when he's piloting yeah. the Ava. He is just sitting in there being a passenger. And the Ava goes, okay, I guess I will take over if you're not going to drive. He goes, you know, yeah. mother, take the wheel. <laughs> and thankfully she does. And uh, she repeatedly saves basically everyone. But it it it's a beautiful metaphor that didn't really strike me until you said it that way, that Shinji sees himself as a passenger in life. And I think to your point on depression, that all ties right into it because... Yes, it is incumbent upon one to take responsibility for digging oneself out and, you know, being the instrument of one's own salvation, right? You have to say, mm -hmm. I have an issue, I need help, I need whatever it is that I need, and then you have to do that, and you have to seek that help and get it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it is difficult to do, and it's shown here, you know, several times and through several different characters, and it's almost like we're just getting different like tools to cope with depression through these different pilots, yeah. right? So Asuka is just using pure anger. Shinji is using dissociation, right? He's like, mm -hmm. he's just going, I don't care. I don't know, whatever. Everything is fine. 
that's whatever. I don't care. Asuka is mm. pure like anger. And she's anger mm. in a way that's um, sometimes productive, right? There is a version of anger that you can direct at reality where it's like, I'm going to be so angry at reality that I'm going to like stand defiantly in its face despite yeah. how awful it is at times, right? Like Absolutely, you can yeah. use that defiant anger as a positive thing. And we see her do that for parts of the series. And then, it, you know, Again, this is what I love so much about the Asuka character is that we see that anger eventually stops being a good enough tool. Absolutely. Now, for for Rey, though, there is a different angle to this because she has... I don't know that her character is necessarily a an examination of depression, right? Because she's she's got a different metaphorical purpose going on, I feel like, because she's you know, this ghost in the shell sort of stand in, right? She's, yeah. can you, can you, can you repeatedly put the same consciousness into different bodies? Even if those bodies look the same, is it the same person? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to interpret that from a depression standpoint personally. Um, well, let me go so ahead and dust my uh, shoulders off here for you, buddy. As uh, <laughs> yeah. where my expertise isn't. <laughs> um, so, you know, it may be the case, but so my argument would that be that, uh, Ray represents uh, the lack of knowledge of self because through the entire mm. thing, Ray has no idea who she is. And then when the moments of humanity are made aware, so when she is literally self-aware of emotions, she has no idea how to handle them. Right. And I think that's exactly what it is where we've, we've shut ourselves off from developing those emotional tools to deal with certain traumas or certain psychologies or whatever. And then when they're opened back up, it's like, what the fuck is this? I, I don't know how to deal with it. But tears, sadness, what? Ah, this sucks. How do I get the hell out of here as quickly as possible? But she also seems to be like not she's not angry the same way Asuka and Shinji are. She's not bitter with the world uh, about her own feelings. Right. She's more like I would like to generally be helpful and positive, but I don't I, like I don't have any of my own motivations, I guess. Yeah. And because she she is, I mean, she's always, you know, I'll do anything for Gendo, which is of course, you know, there, there are a lot of layers there, Yeah. but she does want to help despite having not a super strong sense of identity or rather we could argue that her sense of identity is built around Gendo, right? That's why his glasses are in her room the entire time. Sure. But it's, it's a, yeah, I, I really like that, and I, that makes a lot more sense for for me now because I was trying to think, like, you know, what's going on here? But the series does get into that with all of the characters eventually where they just start asking you straight across, like, what does it mean to be an individual? What does it mean to be uh, loved? What is love? What is the difference between you and how people perceive you? You know, what is the difference between you and reality? And to your point, Jason, I think the the thing about the reality and the interpretation of it and, like, the, you know, different causes for depression and all these characters and stuff, it does get stated here in the last episode, which is all you have to experience reality is you. All you have is your heart, Mm -hmm. right? And your heart perceives reality as being harsh and full of suffering. And your heart interprets reality as being the only truth. And to me, those two lines really stuck out because it was like, that's, the essence of depression, right? Is you're going, I feel this way, therefore it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some logical part of your brain goes, yeah, 
that checks out. And you've heard your whole life, perception is reality. So you're like, well, if I feel that way, then it must be true. And it's like, man, that is the double-edged sword of being alive and yeah. able to perceive your own being, which, you know, is not something that I talk about on every movie podcast I go to, I'll be honest. <laughs> and there's there's also this really interesting aspect of uh, human psychology that really is responsible for actually a huge portion of a lot of the more negative aspects of humanity. And that's that there's this element of the brain where everything has to make sense. The brain literally cannot move forward with a concept that is not resolved in its head. It lingers and it causes a cancer, right? So I have to interject and ask you a question, info. Jason. I yes. have to ask this question. Do you think that's why we got the movie The End of Evangelion instead of just the last two episodes of the series? <laughs> well, there are some real-world implications that factored into that that I didn't necessarily uh, realize, one of which is that Neon Genesis Evangelion ran out of money for its last two episodes. And once you know that and you start looking at some of the decisions, it, it kind of becomes like, oh, wait, so maybe that's why that shot is held for 90 seconds instead of 30. And I don't want to necessarily take away from that because, like, at the end of the day, this is one of the things that I talk about with direction, okay? People specifically with regards to what a director does thinks that it really just boils down to reading a script and selecting the shots. I want to cover this scene in a wide shot. I want to cover this scene in close-up, reverse close-up. I want to do this as a steady cam. Yes, all of that very much factors into it. But uh, first and foremost, uh, people don't realize, like, directors are largely responsible for the acting and the performances. That's really the first thing that they're keying in on. So not to say that they're necessarily responsible for a great performance, but they're when they're when you're on set and you're actually shooting your coverage like you know you've already sort of pre-rehearsed the choreography of your shots and then when you're there you're really looking at the the performances determining if you have what you need to go again but largely from that it's really just the overall steering of the ship relative to all of the crap that goes on around you and if you haven't filmed a movie before or you haven't you know read books on the matter or seen other films on the matter you couldn't possibly imagine how volatile every single moment of every single shooting day is, right? Basically, everything is 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 always ready to fall apart at the drop of a hat. You know, whether you know the actor is hungover, whether you know you're you have an overcast day, and when you're supposed to be shooting sunny exteriors. I mean, so many different things can go wrong, and part of that is effectively balancing your budget. You know, and so what do you do as the steward of a business, a project? some sort of initiative when you have to finish the job, but you don't have the resources. You then have to get creative and you have to start thinking outside the box and thinking, shit, how can I pull this off? And that's exactly what, 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 what the director of this show did. And, and I, and his name eludes me right now. Um, you can correct me afterwards, but like just the nation of the notion of saying, okay, I've got this, you know, instrumentality kind of breaks everyone down to singularity. I have no money. Is there a way I can make all this work together? Oh shit. What if I start breaking down the animation to reflect the inner mentality and psychology? Like, and so when you go back and you look at it, you can, part of you can say, okay, yeah, well they did this because they ran out of money. But what you should be saying is, wow, they fucking pulled this off and made an emotionally satisfying and resonant ending, despite the fact that they ran out of money. And 
like I said, before before I found that out, I, I, I never assumed that that was the case, right? They felt like just completely honest artistic decisions. And as such, we shouldn't allow the real world occurrences to to impact that. You know, every movie you've ever seen has had to make decisions based on economic realities, whether you knew it or not. Dude, if there is any series that you should choose to ignore reality for to enjoy, it is absolutely this series. I 100% agree <laughs> with you on that. And to that point, yeah, it's like to to it's 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 a tale as old as time, right? Where the director runs out of money, is forced into a creative way to tell a thing that he wanted to do a different way. But I think that it does create these incredible moments of quintessence like this series ends with yeah. where they go, oh, what if, okay, okay, stick with me here. The AT fields are the walls <laughs> that we put up around our hearts, right? What if we tore right. those walls down? How would we represent that visually? Well, what if we just took all the borderlines mm. out of all the animation? So all the color is still there, but where they end and become a new color is way less defined. Oh, okay, that's kind of like yeah. mentally like, okay, he's becoming one with other people, right? Okay, let's go a little mm -hmm. bit further than that. Let's blur the edges of the animation so that Shinji is losing track of who he even is because that's the goal of Human Instrumentality Project is to get you to go, oh, the version of me that exists in other people's hearts combined with the version of me that I see is good enough. I don't have to have objective truth. Subjective truth mm -hmm. is beautiful and I love it and I'm willing to accept that. And when you do that, you become an orange blob and you exist with everybody at the same time. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, is that weird? You bet your ass that's weird. But like, this is a, yeah. a, you know, a distillation of an entire series worth of philosophy and action and sci-fi coolness and pain and humanity and truth into again a subjectively beautiful thing where they're going here's look there's some room for interpretation here clearly how long have we been talking about this but within that there is an object there is an objective truth Hideki Anno I believe is the name of the director wrote this with an objective truth in mind right and then at the end he goes and it means whatever you want it to mean because that's what being yeah. a person is and it's it's just Correct. Ugh, man the beauty and and the elegance of this series, I think, is something that people, when they tell you to watch, they go, dude, you got to watch Ava, right? And it's like, because you can't really communicate without sitting down with somebody for a few hours why they got to watch Ava, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's so interesting, too, because I think that that's one of the key takeaways of a lot of science fiction, you know, is that ultimately most of the properties that sort of examine, you know, what is the meaning of life, you know, ultimately kind of come down to this resolution of like, it, you know, it's whatever you want it to be. You know, there is no objective meaning of life. Right. As a matter of fact, I don't know. I don't know if, if you're familiar with this theory or not, but, um, uh, do you know, uh, God, why is the name eluding me right now? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Are you familiar with, with that book? Like, I am uh, unfortunately not. Oh, okay, great. Are, are you familiar with the whole like uh, 42 and what that means to the uh, book? Is the answer to what is the meaning of life? Correct. correct. Yeah. So, so there's this giant question, what is the meaning of life? And, and the, then the supercomputer answers 42, right? So a lot of people have taken that in a number of different ways that, you know, can be the one that I like the best is someone pointed out that Douglas Adams was a computer programmer and in computer programming, 
at least, you know, it's probably the same technology now, but at least going back to like, you know, the birth in the late 70s, early 80s, whenever it was um, in computer in coding. Uh, the 42nd character, there's like, there, there's, you know, a number of characters that they can use for coding. The 42nd character is an asterisk and an asterisk in code terms can represent any other character under the sun. Therefore, you know, the metaphor being, you know, what is 42? What is, what is the, what is the meaning of life? Answer, whatever you want it to be. The asterisk. Subjective. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Relating back to this, you know, it's, it's, it's completely subjective. Like, you think you're a piece of shit? That's true. You think you're a great guy? That's true. Uh, you know, it's it, it's entirely, and it's, you know, I mean, ob- and, and the funny thing too is, you know, that obviously can be used to uh, for dangerous implications, right? I mean, that's a it's a it's also just as easy a way to develop just a completely warped and sorted mentality, right? That just completely disassociates from reality. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about tools to sort of overcome depression and it's a a large part of it is accepting that we are responsible for our decisions because at the end of the day, that's really when we feel paralyzed. That's when we feel down is when, you know, we feel trapped in a situation that we can't get out of and you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Right. And that's, that's depression in a nutshell. Is it basically like whatever you try to do, you're going to fail. But if you don't try, you're also going to fail. So, like, have fun with life, buddy. Either way, you're going to fail, but you got to, you know. And so you just get trapped in this in this back and forth place. So, you know, you can even you can even look at it through a lens of, like, reclaiming your power. That's really all that it is, right? It's just a matter of taking control of your life and assuming responsibility for it. And also just accepting, you know, that. As with anything we do, right, whatever you have in your head about what things are or are not supposed to look like, universe don't give a shit, homie. It's going to look the way it looks. And you can either accept that and, you know, make a go of things or you can resist it and just be in a tortured headspace for your entire life. What you want to do. But the the actual answer, though, is that the only way out is is through people right like yes. you in you have to be one of those people right mm-hmm. but other people have to be part of your way out right yes. you have to be willing to uh, let your at field drop and you have to be willing to trust the version of you that exists when uh, within other people when when you talk to other people and they go hey no you're a good friend and you're you know supportive and this that and the other thing you have to believe them because to them that's the subjective truth right so you have to use subjective truth as a replacement for objective truth because that's basically impossible to get to mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's it's it does show and i mean the 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 series gets to with instrumentality and the merging of the souls it does get to you know happiness lies in that space between the borders of people, right? Yeah. The the hard lines in the animation, right? So using your walls to, instead of keep people out, you use those walls to build a shared space that you both trust and love, a shared dream, uh, which Ayanami actually says directly. She says, reality comes after the dream. Mm-hmm. So I took that to mean like, if you're willing to not delude yourself, but invest in the shared space that you construct out of subjective realities of several people. If you're willing to put some faith in that, then reality will become real enough for you as soon as you are immersed, right? And mm. I I feel like that's what the LCL is that they're saying 
the whole series is definitely about depression and one person's pathway out of it, but it's saying your pathway must include those around you. And it's not saying that it, that those have to be the people that are currently around you, but they need to be people around you and you have to allow them in yeah. to do it, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's, a, it's this idea of you can try as much as you want, but you can't escape being part of the world. You know, that's essentially what Shinji's trying to do is sort of escape into a reality of his own making. And the show, in fact, goes on to point that out by contrast when a little bit later we do see all of the lines disappear, you know, and he's just floating in this vast white nothingness, you know, and they're like, hey, Shinji, isn't this great? It's what you wanted. Freedom from all responsibility. And he's like, but I'm just nowhere. I'm nothing. And they're like, yeah, that's what it means to be free of responsibility. Like, by nature, if you're going to exist as a human on Earth, there are going to be responsibilities and interactions with other people. So if you don't want any of that, this is what that looks like. You should be happy because you've been telling us all along this is what you wanted. But now you're here and you don't seem happy. So what's going on, buddy? Well, and he has it much more literally than the rest of us would have that, right? He's in an empty white room floating in space. Whereas for the rest of us, that (laughs) might be like, you know, you don't have any friends. You move from place to place. You're never in one spot for too long. You don't form attachments Mm -hmm. or long-term relationships, that kind of a thing, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe your reasons are similar to Shinji. Maybe they're similar to Asuka. Maybe they're similar to Rei. Maybe you have your own reasons. But point being, that isolation is... Okay, the whole series is also about duality, obviously. So sure. it's it's acknowledging that, that that desire is in within each person, right? Yes, it is totally fair to want to go, I don't want any responsibilities. I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. Reality sucks. I would really rather just be alone. Everybody feels that mm-hmm. way at times. It is perfectly normal to feel sure. that way. You should feel that way. But you have to be able to hold that in your heart with, mm, people are worth it. Reality is worth it making the effort to be alive yeah. is a good thing, right? You have to be able to hold both of those concepts in your heart. And and the duality of man is just constantly beaten into your face by this series. And they say things like you have to be <laughs> able to hold contradictory concepts in your heart as a human. So I feel yeah. like to to be able to say what you're doing and still effectively convey it through the visuals and still have me come out on the other side going, I love this giant robot series and it makes me feel so many feelings like, and makes me think and it makes us talk at length about it. Like that is to me so many different versions of an amazing thing, right? Like absolutely, they accomplish so much in 26 episodes and I, I am just floored every time I've been through the series entirety twice now and yeah. both times I've covered it in about a week or less just because I think that that's the way to do it. And man, it was, I I actually finished the last episode last night at like 3 AM. So I was like super sleep deprived. (laughs) I saw your tweet actually. Fried. Yeah. I was, I just finished editing our episode (laughs) for the week. So I was like, this is the time to do this because it's going to have maximum impact on me. And it totally did. But yeah, it's, it's the, the number and level of achievements that this series has, I think are just so far beyond what I expected going in. And I think what the average, maybe non-anime fan or non-sci-fi fan would expect from this, like go into this knowing nothing about it if you can, because wow. Yeah, absolutely. There's also like a really cool aspect of what's going on right now that I wish that I could communicate to the creator. I'm sorry, what'd you say his name was? I believe it's Hideki Anno. 
We can double Hideki. check. Hideki. Okay, I'm going to call him Hideki. Uh, yeah, anybody, if anybody out there has some way to get this message over to Hideki, please let him know. I think it is amazing that this work is the res- is is the product of a severe four year depression and his ability to come out of that. And in creating this work as a result of that, he actually provided so much of the world an ability to connect over something, right? Like you and I, like I have adored this conversation and I love that we still have so much to go and with the movie and everything, right? And if, if, if Hideki did not create this series, you and I would not be connecting right now, having this discussion, which I'm certain will turn into more discussions about other properties down the road. And, you know, uh, I feel like, you know, for, for somebody who went so long thinking that they had nothing to offer the world, his creation brought us together and has brought other people together, you know, huge international sensation. And so I just hope that whatever psychological state he's in right now, he's able to take a step back and appreciate what his creation did for the world and what he did for the world as a byproduct. Yeah. And, and to that point, I got to say, I feel that to me, that's a pretty blatant, I don't mean to use this term, illustration of the importance of art, right? Um, You have to have this subjective medium to teach people a a truth that feels objective enough to put faith in. And for Mm -hmm. any piece of media to accomplish that, I think is huge. But it, it just consistently blows my mind when it's done through animation, because all of it, it gets to the essence of the of the series right all of the people that had to trust each other and work together and let their guard down and be collaborative and just believe that the people around them would help them succeed to make this series a thing to put it on screens in front of people and have it exist is it just feels so parallel to the message they're telling in the first place right but that yeah. is the case with anything that you see, any movie, any TV series that you see. There are so many people behind that working together and and being collaborative. And yeah, it's just I, I the thing that I love about it so much is that it does it, it, it's prevalent in this series. The the mm-hmm. the themes and, you know, the what's going on and what does this all mean is so prevalent in the series, but in a way that allows you to also just watch it for what it is, which is a really cool sci-fi anime. Yeah. (laughs) You still get to see big robots go boom, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But you can't, but when you get to the end, you're going to go, whoa, like no matter what you are going to be in a headspace at the end of this series. And, and man, it is one of my favorite places to end up because I honestly feel like if you go into this depressed but I'm not saying like this should be your cure for depression, but I'm saying like sure. if you're having a low level, like a bad day or something, right. Or a series of a couple of bad days, watch Evangelion, dude. Like it might help you remember like, Oh yeah, people don't hate me. I'm, I'm good enough for reality. Cause here I am. Like that's all it takes. And sometimes all you need is that acknowledgement of like, yeah, you're good enough. It's just, everybody else is just doing their subjective best. And that is plenty. 100%. Yeah. And uh, on the nature of subjectivity. So, we were kind of officially into the last episode, episode 26 here, where everything kind of, you know, breaks down metaphysically, etc. Now, there's sort of a, a general overall concept that I like to just identify first, see if you agree, which is the nature of 
one of the things that first tells you the show that is at the beginning of the episode is that instrumentality looks an infinite number of ways for an infinite number of people, right? I believe essentially the idea is that each person's individual process of instrumentality looks unique unto themselves. Do you think that's fair to say? 100%. Okay, yeah. So so given that, you know, pretty much all of episode 26, even as these other people come into play, it, this is really Shinji's experience of, you know, being broken down into a singular collective, right? You know, because that's just just in case anybody's unclear about it. That's that's the goal of instrumentality. Is humanity is being merged into one singular creation, right? And, you know, to your point from just a little bit ago, they mentioned, you know, it's it's the ultimate extension of what we already see, which is humans relying on and needing other humans to interact, whether it's by way of, you know, tribal gatherings, whether it's connection through the physical act of love or friendship or whatever it is, right, um, that this is a a baked in requirement of humanity for success. We need to work with other humans. Therefore, you know, reducing us all into one collective is the ultimate form of that. And so that's, you know, where all of this comes into play. And then what we see in episode 26 is Shinji's specific reaction to that. Now, first of all, I do want to say that, like, I think this is a concept uh, again, that we see in a lot of really interesting science fiction, and, and, you know, science fiction looks a number of different ways, right? Like sometimes it looks like more, you know, fantasy mythos like Star Wars. Sometimes it gets really heady like, uh, you know, Blade Runner or this. And then sometimes it also looks like Futurama, right? <laughs> um, and there's an episode of Futurama. Uh, are you familiar with the show, by the way? Oh, yes, my friend. Okay, so to me, this is exactly the same storyline as when Bender gets upgraded with the X 1.7 robot or X five robot or whatever. Right. Where, you know, he's about to go through and get the upgrade. And then we go through this whole adventure, but really like the entire episode, that whole adventure was really in his mind. And it was the psychological process of him getting the upgrade to where by the end he willingly accepted it. And I, I think that's basically what we have going on here. Would you agree? I would agree, and it's actually the same thing that happens in, for example, The Matrix, right? They yep. need humanity to accept the programming. They need them to choose to want to be deceived. They want to go into The Matrix. Otherwise, whole crops could be lost. So, yeah, it is, and it goes back to a lot of religion and a lot of philosophy, too, right? Mm -hmm. If If reality is all about trying to understand the people around you, then the ultimate evolution of humans, right, would be able to just understand that, like, intrinsically now sure. i feel like this series does also take and and probably to more of an extent the movie but the series does take a moment to say uh yeah that would be terrifying too like to, <laughs> to know everybody's truths of everything all the time including their sure. perception of you that would be hard but if we could get past that it would probably be beneficial Right. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely a, a humanist message there of, of, you know, look past the superficial, look, look closer to the soul if you can. And and I just yeah, it's it, it's so dense, but it's so accessible at the same time. I don't really know what the word is for that. <laughs> I'm sure the Germans have one for it out there somewhere. But yeah, and you know, and what we see moving forward is is this is when we do start to see, you know, the animation style 
uh, really reflect Shinji's process, you know, and and again, it was just it was such a fascinating. So you had mentioned before, you know, try to go into this like as blind as possible, but, you know, it's probably going to be hard. You're going to know something. I knew nothing at all about this show. Literally, all I knew is it featured giant robots. That was literally the beginning and end of yes. it. So once we start getting into the heady shit towards, you know, the end that we've all been breaking down right here, like, that's my shit, dude. First of all, I love stuff like that. I'm like, I'm all about visual metaphor and I'm all about, um, you know, sort of mixing ingredients that really don't feel like they should go together. And oftentimes they don't. But then every now and then you just get this this perfect fusion cuisine, you know, and 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 two pieces that don't seem like they should go together like giant fighting robots and you know introspective psychological examinations you find a way to pull that off and you create a singular experience that is quite literally unlike anything else i have ever seen and that is not hyperbole that is a statement of fact i have to ask though did you not like a couple of episodes in you were like Oh, there's more going on here than giant robot anime, right? Like you could, it was there was some feeling in you a couple of episodes into the series where you were like, "There is something about this that is deeper than what I'm seeing." Or did you not get that at all until you were like episode twenty two, twenty three, and they start getting contacted by angels? <laughs> no, you definitely for me, get that, and I think, go ahead that that like that nature of how much how much repeated imagery there is right every time we're in the apartment we see the exterior of the apartment every time shinji is at school we hear the drone of the cicada every time they're going place to place we see them traverse the same route like that to me like and the the amount of time that they spend on some shots even before that that uh confrontation with kauru is like Okay, this series is trying to get me to think of something other than what I am seeing. I am not 100% sure what that is yet, but something is up here and it is uncomfortable in a cool way. Did you have that feeling or was it like once the angels start contacting you were like, oh, this is entirely different than what I thought it was. I'm still super in love with it, but I was not expecting this at all. Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't expect it to go quite to the realms that it did, um, just in terms of, again, you know, how psychologically introspective it does get but yeah i mean just the, the the fact that they the fact that they made the decision to make shinji a depressed character from the onset it, yeah it just colors everything differently you know because most of the time you know it's more reflective of like the auska character you know it's just that high energy like let's go let's go out there let's kick some ass um you know it's like starship troopers and all of that such and so then to just you know, have this, uh, and, and so one of the things that I thought really, I thought ultimately that where it was going to go is it was going to be sort of him a much more traditional arc, right? Like, oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Interesting. He's an oppressed character, blah, blah, blah. You know, his arc is going to be, yeah, he's going to figure out a way to come to terms and be a badass mech pilot, you know, like Luke Skywalker. But instead of just being a kid, he's like, you know, more depressed. Right. But by the end of it, I'm sure he's going to be that just generic, you know, action figure, strong leader, kind of a Paul Atreides from Dune arc kind of right is yeah. what I had kind of um, expected. And so, yeah, it definitely does not go there, especially with the Auska character and, you know, the traumas with her mom and the suicide and you know, thinking the, you know, loving the doll more than her, like that's some like really heavy shit, you know, and you definitely get, 
you know, and that's the other thing, too, you know, that we didn't really touch on before is, at, you know, in, in regards to being a parallel as a metaphor for depression, a lot of depression really just does start out at infancy, you know, and so as a result, there are often uh, parental issues that are a large part of what causes these sort of manifestations. And so, yeah, all three of our children like have horrible relationships with their parents, like the worst of the worst, right? Like the best is Shinji who, you know, just was abandoned completely and doesn't know his dad. Ray has been psychologically manipulated to the point that she, you know, has these severe daddy issues and literally at one point says that she would kill herself if Gendo asked her to because it would make him happy, right? Like, and so that's like just the ultimate expression of like that craven desire for parental approval. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you've got the Auska character, which is her her dad bailed and her mom suffered a severe psychological episode that that just continued to get worse and worse. And so she was abandoned as, you know, emotionally abandoned uh, before she was physically abandoned. And so, again, you know, all of their all of their deep seated psychological issues ultimately do uh, go back to their relationships with their parents. And that's something that's, you know, very common in that world that you see a lot. So, Well, and just go back in your own life and remember how it felt to be 14. Like, (laughs) then apply all this crap. (laughs) Like, You know what I mean? Like, just being 14 is enough. And it's like, I don't know, because then you literally don't know who you are. You're, like, on the cusp of adulthood, or at least you feel like you're on the cusp of adulthood, you know, represented with Shinji going, "Do I? am I attracted to Misato? Am I not attracted to Misato? Am I attracted to Asuka? I can't tell. Do I just want somebody to be attracted to me? I'm not sure. And then you've got Asuka, who's like, oh, no, I'm a grown-up. I'm going to hit on grown-ups. I'm going to be vulgar. I'm going to act sexual when I want, when I feel like it. And, you know, I'm going to have this kind of agency and stuff. And it's like, she's still 14, you yeah. know? And then you get then you get Ray, who's like, I don't know. I'm just I'm 14. Whatever you want me to do, I'll just listen to adults. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Which is all, those are all valid ways of existing at 14, where you're like, I don't know what to do. I guess I will swing wildly in one direction or the other, sure. right? And then you add on top of that, like you said, all the parental issues. And it's, I mean... There, there are so many layers to the characters that it almost begs an immediate rewatch, right? Because now I'm like, well, does does Asuka standing on like aircraft carriers have an additional metaphorical meaning, or is that just sick as hell? And, and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah, there's absolutely. so many questions that it brings back up immediately, where you're like, okay, how much of the imagery is just designed to get me to go yes, and how much of it is designed to get me to think? And you could argue that it's like. It's all cool until episode 22, and then it's designed to get you to think. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead, and uh, I wanted to touch touch base back to, we talked before about the whole notion of Shinji sort of losing his physicality, right? And we see his instrumentality process reflected through uh, the removing of any and all limits, background, like visually represented to us, where it's just him existing against a white backdrop. As we mentioned a little bit ago, this is sort of reflective of what his world would be like if he was not tied down and had zero responsibilities and didn't have to engage with anybody. And basically, we see this reinforced where there's the moment where Gendo, I believe, says, OK, you know what? Hey, look, you know, you're, you're out there. You're floating around. There's no form or anything. 
let's go ahead and let's give you a line here, right, to represent the ground. And then uh, he's like, okay, cool, yeah, you know, now I get to walk around. And they're like, okay, so what's going on here is that you have actually been stripped of a freedom, right? There is an entire, you know, Z axis that is now no longer accessible to you. And but at the same time, don't you feel safer with that limit now imposed on you because understanding and that's what all of this, every sort of psychological manifestation in the negative light comes down to. And I touched on it again before is understanding, right? The brain has to understand what's going on in order to progress forward. The fatal flaw is that. That information doesn't have to be correct. The brain can assimilate incorrect information, but as long as it logically makes sense, then we can move forward even though we've adopted something that is patently false. It's the it's the fatal flaw, but it's also the greatest adaptable strength, right? Because she's saying, look, you can use the subjective truths of other people to be you know, to substitute yours for long enough just to keep you, you know, going until you do achieve understanding. And I feel like we yeah. can't talk about this moment with Shinji in this final episode without reminding everyone, this is the second time this has happened to him. He he was <laughs> dispersed into an LCL liquid and had no physical form once before already for like a month straight. He was He was just in the capsule as liquid in unit one for a while. And then he reconstituted at some point, right? So it was, this is this, it's, I think that that's an illustration of sometimes even if somebody goes, here's your tool, please, please be better. That's not enough. <laughs> like sometimes your mind will still go, no, I don't want to be better. I'm going to keep being upset and depressed and I'm not ready yet. And then the second time that that option comes around, I, I think my note says, Shinji says, sure, you know what? I'm willing to give reality a shot. Let's see what you've got, you know? And mm -hmm. it's, I think that's that's an important point to make because it doesn't always work the first time. Like if you're depressed and you're like, okay, I want to not be depressed anymore. Sometimes whatever you try first isn't going to work. Sure. Maybe you're going to have to keep reaching out. You're going to have to push through that fear and reach Absolutely. out again. And, and yeah, I think that that is, I think to your point it's to see Shinji go through that the first time and come out on the other side of it okay and then still be like borderline terrified when instrumentality starts happening to him is like it's it's pretty relatable right like he knows what he needs to do but it's still terrifying even if he's been through the process once it's still terrifying and i think that's true to life yeah absolutely now there's also something interesting that's presented here uh, through this moment. Now, we've got a bunch of different people talking, but I feel like Gendy, Gendo's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Basically, it, it, he goes on to say that, you know, each of us forms our own reality and our self-image, which changes over time, right? Now, as this line of dialogue is being presented, we see a quick montage visually of all the different angels in all of their different representations. So, I'm wondering, at this point, the, the presentation of the different angels, is there something where the angels are an expression of the power that we as individuals can have if we take control and make all of our decisions for ourselves? Meaning, 
is it such that there is no true form of an angel, right? Because humanity, humanity all, all looks kind of the same, right? Uh, they're, they're various shades of humans, okay? But the angels, each form is completely different than the one before it. However, they are all ascribed to this general species, create, you know, set of beings known as angels. So, and then, and, 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 uh, Kawaru himself is an angel as well. So I'm wondering if like, and again, I don't know if this is over over analysis or if this is something that's actually there. It can be hard to tell in this show sometimes, but like, I'm wondering if the angels have sort of achieved this, like, it's almost like the equivalent of, uh, what is the concept? Enlightenment. Like a, like a, like a, like a self enlightenment. Right. And like when you know yourself, you know, with totality and, you know, you're, you're, you're making all of your decisions for your life in a very proactive fashion and you're in complete control. You can be literally anything you want to, right? You want to be a giant walking, you know, uh, you know, black with a white face, like something out of spirited away. Mm. You know, you can do that. You want to be a, a huge, uh, you know, energy being that exists in the farthest reaches of outer space. You can be that, you know, do you want to be a, a circular, you know, worm of energy? You could be that too, right? So, okay, there's a lot to unpack here, Jason. <laughs> this podcast is gonna be like a day and a half long. Cool with that. I can't imagine um, any you know, like if there's if if you're listening and you're back to backing all of these episodes, like eh, Bravo, we love to have you. Thank you so much for showing up. And you're probably having a similar experience actually watching the series. <laughs> um, so okay, so we do have this moment where Shinji is told, "You created this reality so that you, you know, could have what you wanted, and you wouldn't be harmed by the people around you. This, that, and the other thing. You created a reality where you get to live inside this Ava and be have all this armor around you, and nobody can hurt you. Right? You're the special one." Mm -hmm. And then we see a version of Shinji's reality where they're all uh, going to school, and it's a sitcom, and everything's fine. Yeah. And they have a hot teacher, Masato. And it's... <laughs> I love that. It was like the, the full house version of Neon Genesis. It was so funny. Right. <laughs> and so there, but you have to ask the question then, okay, is because this is all based on subjective experience and things like that, and there's a lot of mental effery going on, mm -hmm. like, is this Shinji's reality? Is this a reality that he created? Is this all a dream? And I and I don't mean to postulate that the series is a dream, and I oh, I hate when that yeah, happens, yeah, but yeah. that's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is because of the subjective nature of what they're asking you to consider, right, you have to go, oh, does everything then in the series represent some part of Shinji's subconscious? Mm -hmm. Not that it's a dream, but is it all metaphorical because they're pieces of him, sure. right? And because you have all these characters going, I'm the Misato that lives in you. I'm, you know, and they speak with his voice and their own voices alternatively, yeah. metaphorically. So There's also that one sequence literally. with Asuka where she literally turns around seven times saying like the exact sequence yeah. of words in each of the different voices. I I will admit I right. wasn't 100% certain what the what that sequence was specifically saying, but we, we do so see a lot of instances I took of that. that well, and I took that to be, here's her going, this is how Shinji sees me, this is how Masato sees me, this is how these people see me. And that's her own internal version of what they do, because obviously she has no version of their perception yet. Mm -hmm. um, so, but to go back to, is every part of this then some some representation of Shinji or his subconscious? Does that make the angels a representation of the better angels of our nature or the lesser angels? Because they could be illustrated to be, you know, and I'm going to ask you at the end of this what your favorite angel is, so maybe bring <laughs> up a list. Um, but they could be, you know, here are all the 
the negative parts of him, right? Here's the angel that is all about, let's just go back to the drill angel, mm-hmm. right? This angel just wants to penetrate things. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the part of his brain that's, you know, the lizard that just wants to reproduce, that wants to connect with somebody physically. Sure. Then there's the angel that's pure emotional energy, and it's got, like, a much more nebulous form, and that's the part of him that only wants to connect with somebody on an emotional level, mm-hmm. right? Then you've got the crying spider angel, which is just... And, like, maybe that's just, like, the part of him that's just, like, unrecognizable fear of the unknown. Because, dude, that is the creepiest angel that there is. The crying spider angel (laughs) is... So cool and terrifying at the same time. It's just like dripping acid from its eye down like the shoot Yeah, I don't know any of their names, but the reveal of that angel where you see its legs like eight times before you see its face. But yeah, so like those could all be parts of him that he has to overcome or maybe even parts that he has to accept, right? And then hold in concert with the more positive halves of himself. Um, You could interpret it that way. But like we've been saying that's the beauty of this of this whole series is you could also just interpret it as dude in a robot fights aliens because that is absolutely one of the layers right <laughs> yeah there are aliens fighting robots here and they're trying to understand their enemy and i think that that's another cool thing is that it seems pretty clear that the aliens here are the ones going hey what if we just tried to understand each other mm-hmm. and humanity yeah. is absolutely going no that is not what we want and <laughs> which it, is like and such a historic out... sci-fi trope by the way like the the aliens right. benevolent like hey guys what's going on attack <laughs> but it turns out that the bad guy of the series right is the guy that's going no they're right we need to either evolve or make contact or both yeah it's just that he cannot help but put his human stank on it and try to direct it in some way so it's yeah human stank on greater <laughs> aspirations might be a good alternative title for neon genesis evangelion <laughs> also the name of my punk band in high school we made three <laughs> albums before we disbanded <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I th- I do think that's interesting to consider the angels as reflections of Shinji's personality. I do think I see I hesitate to say the whole thing is, you know, a just in his mind or whatever. I think that like like all good art, you know, it's the the creator is using the setup to explore certain emotions, right? So I think that, you know, in exploring in exploring those emotions, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily to say that, again, just everything is in his head um, because and, and I guess actually let's just double back and make sure, uh, again, just in the, in the nature of like clarity, clearly understanding what's going on here. So before when we were talking, we had talked about with where Kawaru visits who he thinks is Adam, but it turns out to be Lilith and then or Lilith and how humanity if I remember, if I remember correctly, I believe your your conceit was that humans were evolved from Lilith, which is the second mm-hmm. angel, uh, which means that the the other that the, the the angels were derived from Adam. Was it was was that what we were saying? That's what I'm thinking. Yes. Okay, so if that's the case. And, and again, maybe this is just, you know, an unknowable or something like that. But if that's the case. Then who created the first angel? Right. Or is that like the God that always existed, right? Is that like our who created the world, you know, the earth, like who created the first angel? Well, it's unknowable. I mean, 
God is in his heaven, all is right with the world. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, for the, sure. So is that like, so, but like, that's like their God, right? Adam is like the ultimate right. creator so of I, everything. And, I, and to be a hundred percent, like you said, for the sake of clarity, I also don't think this is an, it's all in his mind thing. I think that that is an illustration of the creator going, this is all in my mind. Like this is, exactly, this is a yeah. human, uh, personal uh, vulnerable act of creation that you're witnessing, I think is yeah. what he's saying. Here's what I want you to consider. Exactly. Um, now, but to that question, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like, why is that? Why is the first impact that we heard of called the second impact? Like, yeah, right. What is there a first impact? Was that was the first impact the uh, creation of life on Earth the first time? And was that due to a contact between the alien and the human or the ancestors of the alien and the human? I don't know to answer your question. And I'm normally, I'm the kind of person that would say, don't go explore that. I don't want any more, but like, honestly with Ava, it's like, I'm super tempted to go look at the new Ava content that there is because I just, I have such such a deep trust for the creators at this point (laughs) that it's like, I, even if it's not the same quality by some weird standard, I'm at the point now where it's like, I watch this from a subjective place that allows me to like it no matter what. (laughs) Yeah, no, 100%. But I don't know the answer. I I feel like God, right, is the concept that they seem to ascribe to the unknown here. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I don't know, it it is a valid question. And my, my personal interpretation of it is just that maybe that first impact was that, was a, you know, Maybe let's say uh, if Earth was seeded with life from outer space, then the primordial ooze that existed is very similar to the LCL in this series. That's the uh, genesis of humans, right? So Mm -hmm. the neon genesis would be when the asteroid or whatever with the alien DNA impacted and created a branching moment of evolution. Yeah. And obviously neon 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 means new, so we're talking about a new genesis, right? So all that trends. And it would keep our new birth to be tied into the angels, right? The Avas have both uh, pieces of the angel in them and humanity in them. So Evangelion, Evangelion would be, you know, the merging of the human and the angelic. Yeah, absolutely. Did we get there? And- I think we just got there, Jason. Oh, shit. Look at that. All right. Let's go ahead and call it. No. You- <laughs> Sorry, guys. You're not getting out that easy. We still got a lot more to go here. Um, but then so I guess... Just to be clear, we never see Adam. Is that correct? The first angel? I I don't. Well, okay. So we see the embryo from the Antarctica expedition, but I'm not 100% that that's actually Adam, right? Okay, Because that could end up being Lilith, which, again, the parallel there would be Eve. But it, it, it makes me wonder because, you know, was that them attempting to keep Adam from growing or was that them attempting to keep Lilith from growing you know so it or is it that they created Lilith as a piece of Adam I'm not a hundred percent on that part did you have some more clarity on that because I definitely don't (laughs) I I I really don't either no Uh, if you had it I would take it but uh I do think it's also interesting too just in keeping with this metaphor that they, you know, man playing God, you know, the fact that they literally used a, a weapon to hold the creator of human life in Lilith captive. Right. Like, I mean, you know, that's that's a again, there's, a, there's not a ton of very on the nose metaphors in this show, but I feel like that's definitely one of them. I literally think- holding God captive. Yeah, the audacity of man is a theme, I think, that that you could run through the entire series. 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And again, you know, going back to sci-fi tropes, uh, 
not not an uncommon one, right? Well, and honestly, let's be let's be super real. The audacity of men specifically, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> As in Y chromosome. Yeah. Dudes. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and and I do think that uh going back to, you know, the different sort of realities and uh how I think, you know, when again, we talked about like the whole, you know, full house, overtly sitcom-y kind of field, you know, to that reality. And, uh, you know, there's a there there's a line that I think just sort of, again, reinforces everything that we've just talked about, which is where they say uh, there are as many truths as there are people. Again, mm-hmm. I feel like that spells it out for you completely. You know, it's just all about embracing your subjective view of the world. Um, and again, you know, we're not looking at. Like, it's not really concerned with what that view is as long as it helps you get out of this detrimental space. You know what I mean? Uh, It's not criticizing you for thinking about the world incorrectly. It's not saying, hey, this is the objective nature of the world and it's up to you to be honest. It's basically saying, dude, whatever you got to do to get through this shit, because none of us knows what's going on here. It's all just a giant mess. And hey, look, man, like you got to tell yourself something to get through it. Do it right because, you know, it's just you and whatever you think about the world and, you know, and then obviously from there, there's also the notion of if that's true, then in essence, you know, when you die, so does your world, right? Not the world at large, but in terms of your experience, like the world ends when you end. So, you know, make the best of it while you can, huh? Well, and they illustrate that, to your point, they illustrate that so beautifully with this sitcom section by using footage that we've mostly already seen and scenarios that we've already seen in the series, right? There's nothing here that we haven't seen already. It's just that they're sticking to that happy music that, again, is present throughout the series. There's that... That music... Plays through this whole high school sitcom experience, right? But yeah. that's not the first time we run into it. We've run into it 24 other times up to this point where he's in school or where they're having dinner, where it's a light moment, right? So it's showing you, even in this ultra messed up reality of Evangelions, there are moments that are pretty fine and lighthearted. And, you know, there is some, I, I got to say, in 2022, there is some value to watching a series where the world is ending and everybody in the series is just going about their days anyway. There's right. Some kind of, <laughs> People some kind would of never weird... just go to school if the world was ending. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> there's some kind of weird, morbid, like, extra level of immersion that comes with a side of depression that, that affects. <laughs> um, but it's like the this this version that we get of reality that's all happy right is just pieces of things we've seen before it's the same it's Masato it's the classmates being kids it's everybody being more focused on the edges of their perception than what's actually happening in front of them right where they're going oh hey are you and Shinji an item and she's like whoa hey no like it's not about perception like here's the truth and it's like they're using things we've already seen to show us that truth could be anything to your point and it is yeah. I mean for for Evangelion the series to sort of boil down to you do you is insane <laughs> but like it kind of does <laughs> in 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 a really enjoyable fun badass sort of way right but dude I feel like that needs to be like a t-shirt just the screen grab of I'm Eva one on holding it. Kawaru and like underneath just in like Nike font it says you do you I'm working on it right now. I'm making notes. 
<laughs> and uh, oh, by the way, so, you know, we kind of talked about how, you know, this related to that uh, Futurama episode just with regards to it being the subjective nature of his experience to come around to instrumentality. Have you played the Mass Effect series? I sadly have not played the Mass Effect oh, series. Man. I have. It's one of those like it's not a blind spot. It was just mm. a tragic like always at the edge of my grasp, right? Like oh, I could do it, but or I could do it except, and uh, I just I never got around to it. Dude, you can get the Legendary Edition. It's all three remastered with all the DLC, and it's going for like thirty bucks these days. It's fantastic. If you like really like dialogue driven, like it's definitely more of like a Knights of the Old Republic than it is maybe some of the other ones. A lot of, uh, you know, choice, uh, you know, going good, going bad. How does that affect your decision making? But it's very, very cool. If if and when you do play that, uh, hit me up and we'll record our conversation of the end here because it's it, it's sort of it's a historically controversial ending. And a lot of people feel like they took this really cheap, like, bullshit. Like, what? That was, yeah, again, the Full House sitcom ending. However, my argument is it's exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, and it's really, like, just, you know, reflective of the main character's psychological experience with regards to, you know, the story at large. So I would love to know what you think about that, if and when you should ever get to it. I am not opposed to playing at all. It's one of those series that people keep telling me, like, you have to try it. And it's and it is specifically for lore reasons. So on on my show, I'm I'm known for being like, oh, I love world building. I love little world building details. I like when worlds feel lived in that kind of a thing. And people have more than one person has gone. Oh, then why are you not playing Mass Effect? (laughs) Mass Effect. So it is a it is a. A thing that I am very painfully aware of, you could say, is a missing thing. And I got to say, if if I could lock down my space to discuss that with you, I would like to do that. Let's make that official. <laughs> awesome. Dope, dude. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, so we've kind of, uh, you know, so we've kind of uh, really gotten to the actual end of the show proper without diving into end of Evangelion and that is where um you know basically all of this results with uh we get a happy ending you know we get uh <laughs> Shinji finally accepting himself you know so he goes through all of this and you know basically when it comes around he finally is like you know what I can't accept myself blah 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 and then Bottles pop the champagne. Well, before that, as he's going through this, we get this sort of visual motif where the scenes are sort of breaking like glass, right? Like shattered glass. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, pretty obvious visual metaphor going on there. He he comes to this realization like, hey, I can love myself. Everything's cool. And then we see all of the characters around him that are congratulating him, you know, giving him applause and being like, boy." So there's a couple of different ways to perceive this. Well, you know, I won't even I won't even prime you. Let me just let me just ask you, like, how did how what did you think about that ending? Is that really what happened? Is there something else going on? What'd you think? So the first time I saw it, uh, I went, excuse me. <laughs> I did not understand it. Um, yeah. I and I have no problem admitting that I was sure. very like. Whoa. I don't think anyone's going to hold not understanding something yeah. <laughs> about the show against you on the first watch through. I was like, dude, <laughs> uh, like, did is it over? Like, is it actually over? And then to to know that there is a movie called The End of Evangelion. I was like, okay, so it's not over. And and again, it turns out it is sort of just a different telling of the same events, but it, it you're right. They start breaking the scenes, right? They give you the broken glass, but then they have Shinji sitting on a set, like a, a behind-the-scenes stage, behind the curtain, in a chair with like stage lights pointed at him. And 
you're he's been questioning reality so you're like is this was this an experiment was shinji's reality fed to him like subconsciously is he actually part of not reality what's going on here um but once you i feel like on your second watch through once you understand what instrumentality is and what the goal of it is it becomes infinitely more clear oh this is him letting those walls down this is him accepting that he needs to become one with all this is him accepting uh you know trusting in others subjective viewpoints of him this is him going okay that's good enough people love me and that's all i need i just need people to be around me and you know those relationships are enough to sustain you through the hardest parts of your life so that's the ultimate goal of human instrumentality and arguably human evolution right so you can you can understand a little better on your second watch that that's the process that is happening people yes, are going yeah. good job man you figured it out hey way to go dude i'm proud of you the part of you that or the part of me that lives in you is proud of you for understanding that you're good enough for that person so congratulations man welcome to humanity's shared soul that's we're so happy to have you here yeah yeah exactly and and when you take a step back and you think about it like of course this show is going to dress that up in metaphor, right? It's not just going to show you like, okay, here's, you know, now the new form of humanity that is instrumentality. I mean, of course it would just be, you know, incredibly difficult to even understand or, you know, come up with a way to visually represent that. Right. But, um, but again, you know, this is all about, you know, uh, the psychological experience of Shinji and his arc. And so, yeah, it's basic, you know, instrumentality is, merging with all of the people around you and in that final shot it's literally every other character that he interacted with and had a relationship including pen pen the little penguin that we haven't mentioned at all that's masato's uh pet <laughs> you know like all of them come together and they you know they don't embrace in a circle but they all come together in a circle and applaud each other and you know i think that's just our indication like okay instrumentality just took effect right it was successful Everybody merged into one, and this was what Shinji's process looked like. You know, we don't have time, but I could show you Masato's, which would look completely different, right. and probably has uh, uh, forget the name of the character, um, the Kashi. boyfriend character that she has that she you know is a large part of her sort of arc, and uh, you know probably he probably factors into it, and then for Gendo, you know Yui's probably showing back up, right? Like. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, everybody's instrumentality, however unique, I'm sure ultimately ends with, you know, everybody, they have a relationship in their life coming together because that's what instrumentality is. But it's important foreshadowing for the movie because we yes. do still see. And again, you if you're this far into this podcast, you're not worried about spoilers. So, <laughs> but we do see that Misato and Ritsuko are dead in this in this yes. version of reality we get a mm -hmm. quick shot of them both dead right they've, they've been shot as a matter of fact i assume right. by gendo <laughs> and that is an important piece of foreshadowing specifically for the movie but it also to me that's the connective tissue right there of the movie is just a different a, a wider view of what's happening in these two episodes because sure. i think that it still ends up in the same place i honestly do and and but you're but you're totally right. It is specifically there to illustrate. This is going to be subjective for everybody. We get another illustration of that in the movie, and we'll get there when we get there. But it is for each person letting those walls down and accepting subjective versus objective, and accepting that existing is the point of existing. 
is, <laughs> is going to be different, right? It's going to be a different process with different layers of difficulty and different ingredients for it for each person. And yeah, going in the first time, that doesn't is not going to come across the first time that you watch this if you know nothing going in. The second time, though, you'll go, this is actually a beautiful way to illustrate that, and it makes complete sense. And I totally understand where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just and just so, you know, everyone's aware if you haven't watched the film yet, like the the movie end of Evangelion does let you know that it's remaking the final two episodes because it presents them as such. It, the movie is literally presented as episode 25 and episode 26, right? So it's definitely to your point, Jesse, it's definitely like an alternate look, right? Like meanwhile, over here, right? Like it's a, but it's the same thing. So we're actually going to go ahead and get into that right now as well. So uh, probably got, you know, if it's a 90 minute film, we probably got another 90 minutes here that we're going to drone on. But let's go ahead and get into it. There you guys have it. Part three, wrapping up an epic discussion, looking at the final six episodes of the series Neon Genesis Evangelion. But we are not done by a long shot because there is a film that retells the final two episodes that we have to look at. It's called End of Evangelion. And Jesse and I are going to be looking at that one as well. So in two weeks, we will be back with the first part of a two-part series looking at the movie. That entire conversation is going to take an hour and 45 minutes over the course of two episodes. So if you enjoyed this, go watch the film if you haven't yet. We'll see you in two weeks to talk End of Evangelion.